Hello, everybody out in Health Chatter land. Welcome to Health Chatter. And our show today will be on health literacy, which is uh, actually when we think about all the shows we've done, there's probably a health literacy component to all of them. But we'll really get into the logistics of all of that with our great guest who I'll introduce in a moment. We have a great, wonderful cast crew behind the scenes that helps us with all our shows, Maddie Levine-Wolf. Aaron Collins, DeAndra Howard do our background research for all our shows that give gives uh, both Clarence and I some information that makes us sound smart. So thank you to, to you guys. Matthew Campbell is our production manager, makes sure that our shows get out to you, the listening audience, and Sheridan Nygaard is also one of our researchers, but she also helps us with marketing. So thank you to all of you. You're second to none. My uh, co-host, partner in crime, Clarence Jones. Wow, this has been this has been a ride. Great right. colleague. We love doing this show. We really, really do. It's uh, and hopefully we're getting some useful information out to you, um, our our audience. Also, I'd like to thank. Human Partnership, a community health organization that's involved with community endeavors for, frankly, for all of us. You can see their information. You can visit their website at humanpartnership.org. With that, let's get going on health literacy. Today, we've got a great guest with us, Janelle Lamont, who... Um, we worked together over the years at the uh, the Minnesota Department of Health, and it was ironic. I remember it well when um, we were thinking about all the different community-oriented initiatives that we were involved with with all of our grants, and it it just dawned on us. I don't know how, but you know, hopefully, it was a smart decision that you know we should really address health literacy when we're dealing with all these um, great communities that we're dealing with at the time. And um, so we did, we really got going on health literacy and made sure that our our staff uh, knew about it. We wrote our grants with a health literacy lens, et cetera. And we could not have done that at all, really, without the help of our guest today, Janelle uh, Lamont. Since then, you know, since since being at the at the health department, she is now um, an assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Biobehavioral Health at the University of Minnesota in Duluth, up in northern Minnesota. She got her doctorate in occupational health research and policy, and a master's in public health and environmental health, all from the University of Minnesota. Primary research involves investigating the intersection between chronic disease and related risk factors such as Alzheimer's disease and dementia. But she has an illustrious background uh, dealing with uh, health literacy. She trained many people when she was involved at the dental health program at the Minnesota Department of Health and training health dental health professionals and also led a lot of conferences, led actually a lot of trainings, even for us, the staff. And then it really jumped from there. I remember jumped from there where you became really involved nationally in um, in the issue of, of health literacy. And so thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on uh, Health Chatter today. So let's let's get this going. Um, you know, to a certain extent, health literacy is like a duh. I mean, shouldn't we all be kind of health literate when we're dealing with our health? But it, we all deal with it at different levels. So maybe we can start out with defining what health literacy really is. I'm sensing, and maybe incorrectly, that health literacy is perhaps different for all of us, but take it away, Janelle, what is, what is health literacy? 
Well, first of all, I just wanted to thank you um, for inviting me to come to this podcast. Um, we have known each other for several years now, and I really appreciate this podcast and the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. So to simply define health literacy, it's one's ability to find or obtain health information, be able to use and comprehend it, and to be able to then apply that to your own health or for your family or your community's health. But one of the things that people frequently forget too is it's not just your own personal health literacy, but it's also the health literacy of providers and organizations. So on the provider level, it's how well can that individual clearly communicate to their patients so that they understand their health information when they walk out that door. And at an organizational level, it's how that organization incorporates health literacy best practices so that they're training their providers, that their providers are consistently communicating in plain language in a way that people can understand. And it's just fostering that environment of health literacy and patient education. You know, I remember distinctly you know, it's like, it's almost like every profession has their own language. You know, you think of the medical profession, you think of the public health profession, you think of the legal profession. And it's like, all of a sudden, when somebody out in the community needs to link one way or the other with that profession, it's like, there's a sense of, of being lost. It's like, where do we start? Clarence, you know, Giselle, thank you for that, that definition. Uh, as you were talking, as we were thinking about this particular topic, it seems as though health, the term health literacy is something of a, a new conversation. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, when did it become important for people to become more aware about their knowledge about health? So for example, I am a, uh, what am I, Generation X or what? No, whatever I'm just saying. I'm, I'm old. Okay. Okay. A baby boomer. Yeah, yeah that's what I was. That's what, okay. You know, my, my, I forget. Okay. Okay. Well, baby boomer. You know, I didn't need health literacy as much as talking to my doctor. My doctor would tell me everything. Right. And I am wondering um, if you could just talk about that, 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 that transition, why it is now important for more people to know and be more literate around their health. Am I making sense? Yeah, so actually health literacy is not a new concept. I think maybe it's something that people are becoming more aware of, but it actually okay. dates back to the late 80s, early 1990s. Okay. And it all started with the work of CC and Leonard Doak, um, who actually uh, were health educators, um, educators in K through 12 education, as well as part of the U.S. Public Health Corps. Mm -hmm. So it dates back to, to our public health roots. Um, and so they had done a bunch of research, which I believe is now archived in the National Libraries of Medicine, um, where they kind of looked up these different concepts of looking at concepts of literacy. So we have in literacy, we have what are called prose document and quantitative literacy. Mm -hmm. um, so basically we probably all understand literacy as our ability to read and comprehend information, but it's much more than that. So prose literacy is basically our ability to read and understand continuous text. So something that might be in, for example, um, some type of medical instructions. And then document literacy is particularly around reading and comprehending forms. So if you think of those big, large medical history forms, for example, or even something like a prescription drug label. And then mm -hmm. quantitative literacy is just that looking and understanding, reading and understanding numbers. Um, so are you able to calculate a serving size for your favorite breakfast cereal? Or are you able to properly dose yourself with your medication or over-the-counter medication, right? And so literacy, health literacy is part of that literacy just in the context of the healthcare field, which I just, just described some examples of that. So it's something that I believe people struggle with all the time, uh, according mm -hmm. to the 2003 National Adult 
assessment of literacy, which looked at literacy, but also uh, different domains of health literacy. So looking mm -hmm. at, um, again, literacy, quantitative, which we're calling numeracy, uh, mm -hmm. and then looking at digital problem solving skills. And what they found with that study is really only one in 10 Americans have proficient levels of health literacy to be able to properly attend to their own health care, the health care of their family members. And 30 36% um, of those in that study really struggle with health information. Part of that could be because of overall reading levels, but there are certainly other factors involved in that as well. And it's not necessarily a situation around your level of education. Certainly those with higher levels of education uh, would be presumed to have higher levels of health literacy. But again, we can't always assume that. Um, again, going back to the fact that medical jargon and language that we learn stems from those that are within, say, public health fields or medical fields, the, the fields in which you are learning those um, terminologies. But everyone else obviously didn't go to those schools. So how would you then expect mm -hmm. them to understand the language that you use, right? I think everybody, once we're born and when we go through K through 12 education, we automatically speak plainly. It's only when we go to graduate school and professional school that we kind of forget all that we learned and we start to be more technical because that's the expectation of these schools, right? Is that you can yeah. speak in that way and you can speak with your colleagues. But equally important would be if we also went back to our roots and learned how to speak in plain language and adopting health literacy best practices so that we can apply that when we're speaking with the public, when we're speaking with our patients or our clients. That's an excellent, that's, that's, yeah. that was excellent. That was excellent because I, I think you're absolutely right is that, you know, it, it is this whole idea about health literacy. Uh, people are talking in plain, in plain language. And many people think that when we talk about medical things, that it, it has to be somewhat complex, but it doesn't have to be, does it? Correct. And actually, um, back in 2010, you might recall that was the passage of the Affordable Care Act mm -hmm. and the Plain Writing Act, um, in which government agencies were required to um, provide documents in plain language and speak in plain language. So there was a movement around 2010, and that's when we had the, the national plan to address mm -hmm. health literacy that was enacted through the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Mm -hmm. So during that time, there was a lot more awareness around the need for health literacy and to implement that into the different professions. But since then, there hasn't been any real major movement towards advancing health literacy in a major way. And I really believe that in that context, we need to be addressing health literacy from a systems-wide approach, tackling yeah. it in the education sector, health yeah. and human services sectors, right. et cetera. So um, let me ask a, a, a couple of things here. Um, first and foremost is how do we know when someone is health literate? That's a really good question. So there's a handful of tools out there that we could actually use to test someone's health literacy. Okay. The problem with those tools is that, I guess to use an epidemiology term, cross-sectional, right? Yeah, you understand yeah. what that means? So it's, right. it's one point in time that we're capturing yeah. data. So, if you were to take maybe an average over a year, you'd get a better sense of somebody's health literacy. But if you're just yeah. capturing it at that one point in time, it's really contextual. It's gonna depend on your stress levels for that day. In the context of a healthcare visit, it might depend on, have you just received a major diagnosis that say you have have cancer or some yeah, kind of yeah, inoperable, yeah. You know, and so then your your cognition and your processing uh, goes down yeah. when those kind of incidences happen. So really the best practice in health literacy is to instead of focusing on the individual and bringing their health literacy up, is to then focus on the provider and making sure that the provider is communicating mm. clearly and speaking in plain language. You know, mm -hmm. so you bring up, actually, that's one of the questions I had, you know, uh, 
when you when anyone is is faced with a um, an acute event, okay, an emergency, okay, like um, or or you're diagnosed, like you just said, like with a uh, a major illness like cancer or whatever. It's like for any of us, frankly, even even those of us who are who are trained in these fields, it's like all of a sudden it puts you in this kind of a tizzy where it's like, okay, how in the heck do I find out about this cancer or what have you? And in a way that I can act, I I really can move forward with information that I truly understand. And you, the point that you bring up is the immediacy of the situation uh, can put people increase stress levels, et cetera, and affect their ability to, to understand. So the point of bringing it back to the provider, I think is, is really a good, good point. Um, yeah, you, okay, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it, it's really interesting. You, you mentioned 2010. I, I talked about the, the fact that it was not necessarily common language in I'm a community member. Okay, Janelle, so I'm a community member. I'm just talking about for me. All right. And from a community perspective, and, and I worked in a in a health clinic. And it's so the, the whole idea about health literacy was, you know, you, you hear things like, well, you know, you need to talk to your doctor. And that was the extent of, I guess, health literacy, you know, being able to talk to your doctor versus teaching people how to actually look for uh, resources or how to actually actually you know examine or look look at look at what the diseases were or they or ask were, or ask the question or ask questions i mean you know yeah, yeah I mean, it was like you know your doctor knew everything uh but uh you know or else or ask uh mr google or wikipedia you know <laughs> but it, but but i mean I, I think that what you're what you're saying is that there is a much more uh effective way of us becoming more literate and that's one of the things that we need to be talking about for people uh to be able to uh to take a look at so let in our shows, um, you know, you can imagine we've we've dealt with a lot of um, disease entities, okay. et cetera, and we also we usually kind of thematically think about prevention, treatment, disease management. Okay, so let let's let's talk about or get your your kind of your input on health literacy from a prevention standpoint, you know, all these mm -hmm. things that we're trying to prevent. Okay. Help me to get my hand, my head around the idea of health literacy with all these messages that we, we put out around prevention. Right. That's a good question. So again, I'm kind of looking at things from a systems level approach. Yeah. So if we were to invest money into having health literacy as a core component of the K through 12 health education curricula, mm -hmm. and we made that mandatory for every state, yeah. how that would look in terms of prevention is that students would come out of high school, understanding more about how the healthcare system works, how to learn more about their health insurance, where to go for that, when is it appropriate to go to the emergency room, versus schedule a regular medical appointment. Yeah. They would know generally more about anatomy, physiology, and generally how systems work. So when they have pain somewhere, they would know precisely how to describe that pain and the location of the pain so that they can better communicate with their doctor. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know it's interesting. There are certain things that are required for students um, when they graduate, like in the state of Minnesota, you're required to know uh, CPR, you know, cardiopulmonary mm -hmm. resuscitate. This would be a nice add-on <laughs> to that law. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine that, that, you know, how is it that we can uh, help increasing health literacy with some of the ideas that you were talking about? Um, what about for us older people, you know, and prevention? It's like, you know, we're barraged with all these health messages on, on what we should do prevention-wise, but um, many of us don't 
might not understand it. So how do we deal with with an older population? Right. And I think, again, from folks that are working in public health and some of these advocacy roles, um, to be able to advocate for older adults and to empower them to ask questions of their healthcare yeah. provider that at the end of the visit, at the very least, they should be able to answer um, the questions of what is my main problem? Mm -hmm. Why is it important for me to do the instructions that you're asking me to do? And what are some health self-health care tips that I can yeah. bring? Right. Yeah, that, that's part be... of it. Another often overlooked resource are librarians. Health librarians in particular can help older adults or anyone in general mm -hmm. to access health information sources that are vetted rather than having somebody just do a Google search and maybe you might come up with some good information, but oftentimes you won't. So, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting that, that, I mean, it, it's kind of logical, but it's kind of like we all need to be reminded of a simple resource as a library yeah. to get some good information. Go ahead, Clarence. Yeah, I was going to ask Janelle, and it's kind of in, in the line of what I was going to ask. Can you give us a story of of uh, a community that maybe you know that worked on this issue and and some of the results from it? I mean, so that people understand how they how somebody else took a look at health literacy and how they worked with it to uh, improve the health of the community. You have a story for us. Um, I'd have to think of one. Um, so the Minnesota Health Literacy Partnership. I'm currently the interim chair for that. Okay. The okay. founder and chair, Alicia Odiambo, unfortunately passed away um, this past year. Okay. But she did a whole lot of work. Um, she was part of a quality improvement um, unit at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota. So okay. she and a colleague were the ones that actually formed the Minnesota Health Literacy Partnership. And early on, that was part of their work was to work with librarians to provide information okay. more widely to the public. They also developed a toolkit actually specifically for older adults and caregivers um, on how to better improve their health literacy, where to find resources that are vetted. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so here's you said that you know this whole thing of health literacy the theme of health literacy really kind of uh went off in the in the 80s 90s etc i can't the problems that are associated with poor health literacy you know our illustrious research group listed to here like we're seeing more hospitalizations greater use of emergency care Decreased use in preventive services, poorer health status, higher mortality, higher health costs, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now my question is, was that still a problem before health literacy became, you know, before we started studying it? Seems to me that these issues have been around with us for a while, but maybe one of the major ways to address them is through being more health literate. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, I'm sure that this has been an ongoing problem. It, it was until recently, um, since the 90s and yeah. forward, that there were actual studies in place that looked at these different issues and did find that folks that have lower levels of health literacy you know, had had greater use of the emergency room department, more hospitalizations and readmissions, less preventive care, such as vaccinations. So certainly part of it, as I had mentioned, is if we can incorporate that health education, health literacy into health education curricula early on during K through 12. Um, but for now, I think the focus should be around making organizations more, more health literate and also providing that education and training for providers. Now, I can tell you right now, um, at least in Minnesota, they're, the patient education departments and a lot of the healthcare systems are usually manned by just a handful of uh, employees. Mm -hmm. And that is their job specifically to develop and write health education materials that are in plain language 
and are health literate and provide that to patients. Um, but another part of their role is provider training. Um, but because they're such a small group and once you get out and you're past that medical education, you don't have a lot of time to spend on training, even if continuing education credits are provided. So again, another systems level approach would be if we could provide health literacy as a st standard part of medical and professional school education. Um, but with that said, if we can do a better job to uh, make opportunities for those that are currently working in the field to get that training, I think the better off we'll be and to encourage them to consistently use those skills that they're that they acquire during their training. So one important piece of that, not only um, teaching folks how to go back to the basics and use plain language instead of their me medical jargon, another powerful tool, but yet a real simple one is called the teach back or the show me method. Mm. So that's when you're all done with your visit. And let's say you've shown someone, for example, how to use their inhaler. At the end of that visit, you wanna say to that patient, Okay, I just want to do a double check and make sure that I've explained things as clearly as I could. Could you show me when you go home um, how you're going to use that inhaler? And then the patient will then show you exactly how the inhale, how they would use that inhaler. And that way, if they're not doing it right, you can make the correction then. And that way you would be certain that when that patient goes home, they're going to be using their medication correctly or they'll be able to follow your instructions to it to you. You know, it seems to me that, you know, what you're re referring to is um, really a partnership in order to accomplish health literacy. Yes, it falls on any one of us individually, but also um, the healthcare providers together. So, um, and, and not being afraid not coming across as a patient that you might feel like you're stupid because you didn't, you, you, why would I ask this question type of thing, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, it's okay. It's okay to ask the question. Better to ask the question to be safe and correct in, in your treatment, for instance, than not. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's, so I'll give a, a perfect illustration of this. So, um, you know, our listening audience knows if you've heard, you know, I take care of of orthopedic patients after they've had knee surgery. I go in and say, hey, listen, I've had it myself. So I'm here to provide you some insight on how to recover. And it's really interesting, the comments that I often get. I love, like one, one patient will say, I love just hearing normal language. Just normal, and I appreciate that greatly, as opposed to the medical ease that they hear when you know in getting their their knee replaced. Okay, so it kind of takes um, to a certain extent it takes the stress down for them. And imagine if you take the stress down for them, they heal, they heal, they recover quicker. So it it does work, Clarence. So, Janelle, how much does health illiteracy cost us? You know, I don't, I don't know. Have has has there ever been a cost for the, you know, the the lack of 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 our populations uh, being literate? How much extra does it cost us? I'm, I I was looking at the report that our, our researchers did. They said thirty six percent of us, thirty six percent of of, of us uh, are at basic or below basic level of health literacy. And I think it's got to cost money. And I and I, I have to believe that organizations know that it costs money for people to be illiterate, you know. And I'm just wondering um, how much does it cost? And knowing that, you know, the color of America is green, uh, why hasn't there much, been much more of a focus on this whole issue around health literacy? Correct. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so unfortunately, there's only been real small numbers of studies that have been done in health economics to look at the association between folks have, having lower health literacy or 
um, the system not addressing health literacy for those folks and then the resulting healthcare costs. Uh, one study that gets cited often, um, Vernon 2007, which has been updated for um, more recent numbers, uh, suggests as high as $938 billion mm. wow. in waste is spent um, because of unnecessary hospitalizations, um, not going in for prevention, and all the other issues that we've already discussed. Yeah. But certainly more money needs to be put into research on health literacy so we can get more mm -hmm. precise estimates. Mm -hmm. So let me, let, let's talk about a recent event that's near and dear to everybody. And um, that's COVID. Okay. So how I mean, just a, maybe an assessment, you know, from from maybe your your perspective, Janelle, is um, how did lack of health literacy affect mm -hmm. us when we were all going through COVID? What what did you see or or perceive? Again, it would be great to have some studies to support this. I think there's yeah. been a lot of studies around miscommunication, um, purposeful yeah. miscommunication around COVID. But again, because health literacy is not routinely taught in K through 12 education, then folks come out with different backgrounds. And again, we did see this during COVID. So we had some folks that maybe had higher levels of health literacy, understood in general how vaccines work, how they're helpful. Um, and so those were the folks that went in and got vaccinated right away. They were the ones that knew how to properly wear masks and mm -hmm. did that to protect themselves and their family members. Mm -hmm. And then you saw the other folks um, that unfortunately maybe got a lot of their misinformation through Google. It became highly politicized as well. Um, framed as more of um us versus them we you know we're we're more independent we don't need to listen to you know these ivory tower folks on how to protect us ourselves or hey this is even a hoax so mm -hmm. we had those folks that were refusing to mask mm -hmm. didn't go in for vaccinations and a result as a result of that um they probably we're more likely to get infected and unfortunately spread COVID to other folks, including those that are vulnerable. And that's why we saw situations where, you know, folks that were working in these um, critical care units would encounter patients literally on their deathbed needing to be hooked up to ven the ventilation saying, I'll take my vaccine now. And yeah. unfortunately they had to say, I'm sorry, but that's not an option at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting. Even for um, people who are highly educated or mm -hmm. professional, or I, I mean, when you when you're um, dealt something like COVID, mm -hmm. it puts us in a high stress situation, mm -hmm. and again that affects our ability to interpret communications um, properly. And it became problematic because uh, the professionals quickly and efficiently and effectively needed to understand it mm -hmm. in order to communicate to their patients. So it, it, put, it put us in a little bit of a quandary there for, for a while. But um, it certainly is an indication of why we all need to put up the uh, put up the balance a little bit on health literacy for all of us, so that we're we're not as stressed out when we're faced with those types of things. Go ahead, Clarence. Yeah, I loved it when you said purposeful miscommunication. I think that's what you said, right? Mm -hmm. That that struck me, you know. That that with with all of the things that are going on, we have we actually have people that are purposely miscommunicating around a lot of our diseases. And so, how does one 
how can we really help ourselves to be more aware, informed around these around these issues when there's so much purposeful miscommunication around these various diseases? And COVID was a great one. And you know, mm-hmm. there, we were fighting people, and people were sneezing on folk, and you know, all kind of crazy stuff. Um, you know, and and it was interesting. So, yes. Yeah. And I almost wonder too, um, now that you brought that up, if, if all of us as health professionals, when we were communicating with the public did speak more plainly, right. And, and clearly Mm -hmm. that maybe this wouldn't have been as big of an issue. Cause again, um, one interesting story I have is one of my pastimes is screenwriting And when I was taking some screenwriting classes in St. Paul, um, my sister and I were taking it together and we were writing um, a science fiction story about scientists. And so our dialogue obviously reflected that. And one of the other students in the class said, wow, you know, you really captured the pompacity of that character. And my sister and me looked at each other and we're like, what the wow, heck? you know, that's how we're coming across yeah. as scientists. Like, this is just how we normally talk with each other. So we certainly weren't trying to, you know, portray that we were pompous or anything with that character. But that's what other people are hearing, right? Mm-hmm. That that there's almost this like anti-education attitude with some mm-hmm. folks um, or jealousy. And so if you're speaking at that high a level... Um, and you know, you don't really show empathy or compassion, then you are kind of coming across right as yeah, yeah, this big pompous elitist. <laughs> yeah. And then that can go, obviously, that's gonna go against you when you are trying to communicate something of a serious nature and you want people to um, trust you and believe in what you're saying. Yeah. Right? I think you know that's that's it's because I always talk about, Sometimes people use language because they are afraid of losing their soul. You know, they're afraid they're going to lose something by them speaking plain language. And I'm like, you don't know how much more effective you are by speaking language and being able to be bidirectional in, in terms of conversation. But a lot of people, you know, you talked about that graduate level plus. A lot of people feel like if I talk normal, I shouldn't say what normal is, but if I, if I talk plainly, that somehow I'm not... I'm de-elevated. So, and I, but I think around health is so important for us to be able to talk cl- plainly and talk clearly and to help people to understand. I mean, because I think that we might be saying the same thing, but we're just using different languages. I mean, and so if we really want to help people to to uh, to be healthier, we need to be able to understand how to, how to be more di- bi-directional. But let me right. ask you, there's, there's a couple... There's been studies done too that show that everybody appreciates clear communication regardless of their health literacy or the education level. Again, you know, somebody might understand those higher level words or medical jargon, um, but that does take some more processing, right? And it's just easier if you just speak plainly for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that that uh we talked about in a previous show was this whole issue of trust. And um, it seems to me, uh, and maybe you can reflect on this a little bit, you know, that if you have a, um, a trusted relationship with your primary care provider, that almost by itself embraces being more health literate. Okay, because you you have a sense of communicating better or you aren't as nervous, for instance, communicating. The reason I bring that up is um, in this day and age, especially when people are constantly changing health plans, for instance, and they're forced to uh, change providers, for instance, that trust then is compromised. And and I'm guessing, I'm maybe hypothesizing here, that health literacy is also compromised 
because now you're talking to someone else who you've never talked to before. And all of a sudden you got to break through that barrier in order to get your, your needs met health-wise. Does that ring true at all? Yeah, I, th I think that definitely could. Again, that just goes back to the need of why we need to be incorporating health literacy into medical and professional school no education, kidding. in addition to just general good communication skills, right? Um, yeah. It's tough when you're seeing patients, what, only five to 10 minutes at best at a time. And yeah. so it's really kind of hard to um, build that trust and relationship with that patient. But if you come in already having those skill sets of um, relaying sympathy, being open and asking questions of that patient, and then using that plain language and following up your visit with um, the teach back or show back or teach back or show me technique, um, then I think even on even if you do have to change providers, um, you know, unfortunately, I, that can be a loss for patients, again, because they already have that pre-existing relationship with that other provider. But at least if we're systematically pro providing this training to um, medical providers and other professionals, then they can at least have these skills to then um to develop their own relationship with that patient. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the other day I went to the dentist, I had to have a crown replaced, not fun. Okay. But my dentist and his, um, his assistant, I noticed were really, really good. They were probably trained by you, Janelle, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they were really good because throughout the whole thing, um, they were explaining literally every little step that they were doing, you know, with the impressions and the taking this out, putting this in and, you know, they, whatever, whatever it happened to be step-by-step, step, they were just saying, okay, Stan, this is what we're doing now. Okay. And it was, it's just comforting knowing that, you know, when you're sitting back in the chair there with your your mouth wide open, at least you're you're hearing <laughs> what's going on and you feel more confident that way. Right, exactly. That's... Okay, go ahead, Janelle. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, for dental providers, that is a best practice is if you're doing a procedure um, that you're explaining each and every step, because as you say, it's quite intimidating. You're laying back in a chair right yeah mouth People open you shoving can't, you can't things talk. in your mouth and <laughs> right right and it can be you know really scary for some folks but if you are you know you have that calm voice and you're explaining each step and giving that patient a break then then that helps to calm those eases and makes the procedure go a lot smoother yeah so, i mean i my dentist even says stan sorry for the drill sound yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> which <laughs> Okay, I, at least I know that there's gonna be one now, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Clarence, go ahead. So Janelle, since 36% of us are at basic or below health literacy levels, could you give us some tips on how to increase our health literacy? That's a good question. So I think if there's educational opportunities out there, and again, as I mentioned before, your library is could, can be one of your best friends at getting that health information. But just in terms of being able to go to your clinic appointments and navigate that as best you can, uh, one of the good practices that I always tell folks to do is bring a buddy if you can. If you have a trusted friend or family member that can come with you to that visit that can help calm some of your eases, but also if there's things that you don't hear the first time or you forget, then that buddy of yours can help you to get that same information or might have additional questions that you hadn't thought of. If that's not possible, if you can bring a notepad and a pencil or pen to your appointment and just make sure that you are writing things yeah. down. And if some if something isn't clear, you can just, you know, don't feel ashamed. Just ask your doctor, say, hey, you mentioned this term or this. And um, I didn't go to medical school. I don't know what this means. Can you can you explain this in, in plain language to me? And just make sure that um, you don't leave that office visit until you have your questions fully answered or make sure that you know what to do when you're 
out of that medical appointment, maybe ask for um, some follow-up instructions that you can take with you. Usually they have um, aftercare summaries that they can print out for you. You know, I could just see in a doctor's office or in a, in a dental office, you know, a simple sign that says, it's okay to ask. Just it, mm -hmm. it really, it's okay to ask or it's okay to clarify, you know? And that kind of brings it down to say, hey, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, because I might need some things to be clarified here a little bit. I would be, I would, I would be amazed to walk into a doctor's office and and and, and see that. I mean, I think that that's a good. Me idea. too. Yeah, like yeah. it's okay to ask questions. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that I think compromises health literacy is the time allotment that physicians are given in order mm -hmm. to see a particular patient or a dentist um, or whoever, uh, a provider, a health provider, that really puts an angst in the, in the whole thing. I, I, I think, and, um, you know, maybe going forward, that type of thing can be addressed mm -hmm. better agree. than, than it, than it is now. So Janelle, um, I know you've you've given us some really great food for thought, but if if there maybe be one or two um, things that you want to make sure our listening audience is left with today, what would it be? Great question. So, if there's providers or healthcare organizations um, or even public health organizations that are listening on the call. Again, to just recognize that health literacy is very important to patient or consumer health education. Mm -hmm. Even if you're thinking about things like communicating data or charts, that's still a form of health education, correct? And if you want your end user, your patient, your client, that healthcare consumer to take your information and be able to actually use it and make sense of it, then you need to be incorporating these health literacy best practices. One way to get yeah. that education and get it free is through the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's health literacy website. You go through mm -hmm. something called CDC Train, and there's several modules there for different types of providers, including um, public health educators. I highly recommend those trainings. They'll teach you the basics about health literacy. They'll explain how you can incorporate that into health education materials, how to make data and reports more understandable. And there's also other great tools on that website too, like the 10 attributes of a health literate organization. A lot of folks have uh, successfully used that as a tool to create an assessment for your organization where you can look through each of those 10 attributes and see where your strengths lie and where there are some places that um, maybe you need to draw more attention to, such as yeah. workforce training, right? Um, well, again, I'll tell you, it's, it, it seems to me that, um, you know, like I said previously, it's, um, this whole concept of, of health literacy is really a two-way street. Yeah. Uh, we, each, we each individually need to own it. Um, professionals need to own it. And, um, and in many ways, we need to all practice as well. Okay. Um, it's, it's an ongoing issue. It's been going on for a while. You and I have been involved with it for, mm -hmm. for a while. And um, actually, we're hoping that through um, just health chatting, through our health chatter podcast, mm -hmm. we're providing some information out there clearly, we hope, um, straightforward, so that um, people can understand these, these issues around health clearer. Yeah. Yeah, I think my my closing remark is this: is that uh, health literacy is another leg for us to address disparities, um, and I don't think that we talk about it enough. I mean, you know, you know, people, um, 
we do this quick conversation, but people need to understand the importance of going deeper and understanding more clearly what's really going on. And that's going to be one of the ways in which we're going to address these disparities. But we also, who are practitioners, need to understand how important it is for us to also be able to help people understand this, this, um, this issue. And so I want to thank you. I mean, from my perspective, thank you very much. I mean, uh, uh, I learned a lot. And uh, I, I do appreciate it. Yeah, you. you're 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 a you're a real gem when it comes to um, this whole subject, <clears throat> and um, and just the way you 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 present it is clear. Yep. So that that's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so thanks thanks for being with us on on Health Chatter. For all of you out there, we've got some great great shows coming up. Um, our next show, we were having a um, an actual stroke survivor that will uh, will talk to us about um, his care, which frankly, I, I assume is going to involve some health literacy issues yeah. that, that we we talked about today. And then after after that show, upcoming shows, we're going to be talking about grief and how it is that another show on motivation. How is it that we we get motivated? In, the, in health and do things that we need to do. How is it that we get there? So with that, thank you. Keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.